Aloha and welcome back to SUPFM. My name's Simon Hutchinson and in the SUPFM podcast every week, I chat to people who can inspire and add to your experience of SUP. What you'll find in every episode, whatever your level, is a conversation with someone who's either done something incredible in the sport or who can offer you some learning, insights and help which will add something to your precious time on the water. As ever, we'd like to say thank you to this season's sponsors, Starboard. Starboard is a brand which has a reputation for constant innovation and development, and this is part of its DNA across both board and paddle design. Sven Rasmussen, the creator of the brand, originally started by producing innovative windsurfing boards in 1994, and the success of his approach and the performance of his boards led to the brand developing into the windsurf market leader in only 10 years. Starboard got behind stand-up paddling early in its life and continues to strongly support the sport. They're aggressive innovators and leaders when it comes to their environmental responsibilities, and they continue to push the boundaries of design and functionality, making their boards and paddles perfect for both the weekend warriors like me, as well as those competing at world level. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, and the link is in the show notes. We appreciate the follows and the likes and the lovely comments we get on Instagram and Facebook, but if you wanted to keep it old school, you could sign up to our SUP FM email newsletter, which goes out with value added updates. And if you do sign up, then as a thank you, you'll also get our free guide to our favorite apps, which are the ones that we use on the water and which help to keep us safe and informed. And you can subscribe by heading over to our website, supfmpodcast.com. Through the middle of this season, we've had a bit of a gap in our track record of featuring strong female guests. So I'm really looking forward to putting that right over the next few weeks. And I don't think that we could start with any stronger role model than with this week's guest. And in preparation for the episode, I looked up the word stoke in the dictionary and it just said Rita Boychuk, which coincidentally is the name of this week's guest. Rita has channeled her love of the river, whitewater and sup into her Can River Sup Collective, which is based on the beautiful rivers of Alberta, Canada. Rita's passion and love for the river radiates throughout this interview. And based on her enthusiasm, it's not surprising that she's built up so much of a following both online and amongst the Paddle Canada community as a trailblazer for sup, becoming the first ever female Canadian Riversup instructor trainer and as an athlete for the Riversup specialist Badfish, who operate out of Colorado, USA. I challenge you not to be caught up in the wave of Stoke as we send it in this interview with Rita Boychuk. Hey, Rita, welcome to Sup FM. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I know that you operate in an absolutely stunning part of Canada where there's no shortage of uh, white water and rivers. And um, just before we came on air, I, I let you into a little secret that in preparation, I, I listened to Rita's um, podcasts, of which there are quite a few. So it's going to be really unusual me actually talking to you now. It feels really strange. And I have to keep reminding myself that I'm hosting this and not just listening to a podcast. But one of the, the things that comes through in all of your podcasts that you've, rec you've recorded so far is your sheer enthusiasm and your passion for the river and for SUP. I think a lot of the SUP tribe can definitely recognize that shining through. But before we get into a bit of background about you, could you just explain to us a little bit about why you changed your Instagram handle from Rita Sups to Rita Sends? Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, so Rita Sups started off as my first sort of identity when I started Santa Paddleboarding. Instagram was something that I was new to. And of course, my friend Brittany Parker had BP Sups as her Instagram. 
And you know, mimicry is the best form of flattery. So mm-hmm. I went out and I put Rita Supps. Um, my friend Natalie had thrown in, well, if you're going to use that as your Instagram, can't you make that your business name? And so Rita Supps, in addition to um, playing off some of the people that inspired me to get out and paddle more, also stood for River Education Training for Adventures on Stand-Up Paddleboards. And that was sort of everything that I did was about stand-up paddleboarding. While I was in Costa Rica, actually, I believe that was September 2019 with Brittany, we were having a great time paddling, supping, and we were noticing that some of the rivers weren't as conducive to sup, whether they were shallow that time of year, or it was rocky, or just too many risks of falling off your board. And there was some awesome kayakers in the crew with us, and they convinced me to actually get back in a kayak. And within about, you know, two, two attempts, I was rolling again, and I was excited about the river in a whole new way, and excited to see if I could get back into the kayak um, because it had been something that I had left for such a long time. And that uh, spark that was lit in, lit inside me in Costa Rica to, you know, what else is out there? What else do I want to become friends with again? Um, I came home and I bought a kayak and my friends got me out in their raft. And I slowly started to realize that as I continued to grow as this whitewater athlete, I didn't just want to sup anymore. Although it is the core of me and my favorite of all the whitewater sports, I wanted to encourage everyone around me to not limit themselves to one thing. And I changed my name to Rita Sense because I want to send it in every craft. And <laughs> um, even if that, isn't um isn't my stuff well absolutely so we're going to send it in this episode as well it's an attitude thing isn't it it is getting on it's doing it it's a great slogan and a great thing to introduce you with in here so uh, Rita, what we normally do is just talk about your introduction to to the world of of water. You, you certainly don't seem to have been the sort of person as a child who stayed indoors and and played with dolls. Have you always been an outdoors type person? Yeah, I've always been outside, but I definitely had a few dolls um, growing up as well, though. Fair enough. So what was your introduction to the river then? Have you always been a, a water person? Did your family spend a lot of time um, in and around the, the river? We didn't spend a ton of time around the river. Growing up, I would go speedboating with my family, sometimes water skiing, fishing in the boat. We had a lake property that we'd spend most weekends at. But I didn't actually, as a kid, have any opportunity to go on the river. And it's actually a long-standing joke in my family that my aunt and uncle would always say, one day, Rita, we'll take you whitewater rafting. One day. And I never as a child even could comprehend what that meant. Um, and it wasn't until I was in college that I had actually taken an intro to canoeing and kayaking class in a swimming pool, which started to introduce me to what a river was and going with the flow, even though we never left the pool. And I would say that, you know, being a fish, being a mermaid, chasing that flat water was something that I always did as a child. But it wasn't until my early 20s, when I actually got to go with the flow in a women's whitewater kayaking class, and actually fall in love with the current and how in the moment you need to be on the river. It can be a perilous place, can't it? And there's all sorts of things going on in there. You mentioned that when you were in Costa Rica, you had fallen out of love with kayaking. What happened there? Well, back in, I believe it was 2012 or 13, I had a bit of a whitewater kayaking incident that scared me pretty significantly. And I know, um, especially as a female in the sport, I actually know a lot of people that have a similar story. They are out, they're paddling all the time, their confidence is growing, their skills growing, 
And maybe it's that their role doesn't work that one time or their confidence led them into a situation that was just beyond their skill level. And that bad swim scares them away from the sport. And so that is what happened to me is I got you know, too good, too quick without having a solid base of foundational skills. And when I had that bad swim, because I hadn't spent enough time building up my foundation and my underlying knowledge and a lot of little baby swims, that scared me so much that I chose to step a, take a step back from the river environment. So I guess if you're in a kayak, you do have that stability from being low down. But yeah, if you, if you flip over, then that, that can be quite difficult. Yeah, especially if you don't practice or and you don't practice your roles very often, right? It's all about practicing. And I think that translates to stand-up paddleboarding or any of the skills. If you don't practice your skills as you grow, you can start to exceed your own limits. And it's not about being easy, is it? And we talk about this on the show. There's a, a little unofficial motto, which is if you're not getting wetter, you're not getting better. You've just got to keep pushing yourself and building those skills. And it's incredible how quickly they do build up. But you've just got to put yourself in that area of discomfort, obviously not as discomforted as you were in your kayak. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's really important, isn't it? Part of the learning process. It is. And I love that that's your slogan. Um, with Can River Sup and my crew, we always say you got to get wet. Um, because if you can't get wet and you're not willing to take the risks to fall in or tip your kayak over, fall off your stand-up paddleboard, then you might not be willing to take that risk when it happens unintentionally. So how are you training for those moments? Absolutely right. And uh, I think I might put that on a t-shirt with that feedback. <laughs> that's good. So. Um, how did you get your start in SUP then? So you were, you were off the river. You were obviously, you know, terrified by that experience. Um, how did SUP come along? Oh, man, SUP came along in the funniest of ways. Um, missing or choosing to step away from the river, which at that time I was a raft guide and I was kayaking all the time. I don't think I fully realized how big of a role the river actually played in my personal mental health um, and just in who I was as a person. And so my friends, thankful, I'm so thankful for them, um, found this inflatable stand-up paddleboard. The sport was quite new and they decided, hey, we're going to take Rita out and we're going to take her on the lake and see if we can cheer her up. The water always cheers up Rita. Mm -hmm. So off we go to the local lake and we're playing around and I'm paddling and well, I've canoed before I've kayaked before. I know how to make this vessel move. I could use with a little bit more stiffness because back in those days, an mm. inflatable sup was more like an inflatable thermorest, <laughs> but I could make it move. I could go paddle where I wanted to on the lake. And when I fell in, I just got back on. And I would say it was about the third or fourth time that I had fallen in that it was like a light bulb had went off in my head. And I was like, why can't I do this on the river? Why can't I just get back on in the river? And it was this, this spiral of emotions. My friends probably had totally forgotten this ball of energy had even existed. And I was calling up my kayak friends. And I was like, hey, okay, you got to go to my house and you're going to pick up the Rubbermaid that says, Rita, don't ever touch again. That's where all my paddling gear is. I need you to bring my uh, my life jacket and my dry suit. Meet me at the put-in. We're going to the put-in. And everybody's like, well, do you have a boat? And I was like, just meet me there. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and we all met at the river. And I can almost guarantee you that I didn't stand up for more than 30 seconds that first adventure down. but swam and I could see where I wanted to go. I could use all the hydrology knowledge I had to read the river. And this game changer, if I was on this SUP, I could self-rescue in most instances. And that means I can go on the river because that's where I need confidence. 
That's incredible. So, and that was on your regular Thermarest um, inflatable, was it? How long ago was that? That would have been about 2013. Wow. Okay. So, so I started to around about the same time and uh, the kit was just completely different then. I mean, there were some big old paddles there. So you still had a good experience despite the fact that you had a flat and, and baggy uh, inflatable. That's amazing. Well, I think the experience that I needed that day was not to be successful on my stand-up paddleboard. I think that it was to apply all the knowledge I had about the river and moving and working with the river, but also feeling that if I made a mistake or fell in or you know went for a swim, I was empowered by the fact that I could just swim back over to that paddleboard, get back on and keep trying. That sense of independence was what I gained on the river that day. And I think that's what a lot of what I'm noticing is a lot of people that are coming to the SUP world are looking for is that independence, especially people that have come from kayaking, which can be a sport that does require you to rely a lot more on your friends to help you if you need a rescue. Absolutely. So, so what was the journey from then? Because clearly you didn't uh, rely on your Thermarest uh, SUP for that much longer. I know that the whitewater kit is quite specialist. How did you develop from there? What was the second? What was the third session like? Did you teach yourself or was there any other instructors out there to, to help you on your way at, at that point? No. So when I first started off, it um, I had, I think it was a board... It was a Boardworks Shubu, I think is what it was, a blue Boardworks Shubu. Um, And I just kept getting after it. I called all the kayaking buddies and I just started to figure it out. And slowly but slowly, it went from a little bit of knee paddling to a little bit of stand-up paddleboarding mixed in here or there. Um, And the only formal instruction I had had up until this point on the SUP was actually um, none. <laughs> all I had was kayaking and canoe instruction. And I was sort of mixing it all together to figure out what was going to work. Cause I was the only one there was, there was nobody else. There was me and the kayakers. And it wasn't until I met Neil Gilson, um, that I started actually getting into the river sup program with paddle Canada They were very new at developing that. And I would say Neil Gilson from Sup Barefoot was definitely one of my very first mentors. But I really just started as the crazy girl that didn't want to get left behind. Wow. So you you wrote the rule book, really. In terms of Paddle Canada, so I guess they're the equivalent of the British canoeing um, organization in in the UK. Are they the main certifying body for, for Sup? in Canada, would you say? Yeah, Paddle Canada is the main certifying body for all flat water, SUP, river SUP, SUP surfing, as well as SUP touring. And they also have um, canoeing and kayaking streams under them. They would be the equivalent to sort of the Alberta Whitewater Association down in the state. So, so you, t- you talked about the skills that you brought across from your kayaking and your rafting experience. There's the hydrology, the, the flow and watching for hazards and, and all of that sort of stuff. What else did you get from your canoeing uh, and kayaking background that really helped you um, start your journey on SUP? Well, I would say starting any river sport, the foundations are the same. Like you said, the hydrology, the safety knowledge knowing how to work as a team, knowing how to help people in basic rescues. But also, I would say the biggest lesson that translates between all paddle sports is actually understanding how to use your blade in the water and with the current. Because once you can understand how the blade of your paddle um, can be, the angle can be changed by placing it in a different current it's going to affect your craft and the connection of your body to the blade and your craft is I would say the biggest crossover component with all vessels. And it's just learning how that connection changes as you change from maybe one blade to two blades or from sitting down, kneeling to standing up. 
and it's that that really makes the difference in terms of instruction because you know to an extent i guess people can go off and do their thing on on flat water i think that everyone will always benefit from some level of instruction no matter what your level but it's that subtlety of the use of the paddle and i haven't done any white water i've done a little bit of paddling on a weir but that's it but you're absolutely right it's that instruction that tells you the basic parts of how things work and then it's all about practice isn't it to just get that touch intuitively so that if you've got a a certain movement or certain flow of water you can just put your paddle down in the right place and just correct things yeah exactly it's about um once you can figure out how all the pieces go together paddling can actually be really efficient and not a lot of work at all kind of like a dance Mm. yeah so what makes it a great white water river for stand-up paddling is there any difference between a good stretch for sup in comparison to say you're running it on a kayak or a raft well i would say you know based on obviously your personal level is going to change that but For me, if I'm looking to go out with the majority of my SUP posse, we're not looking to show off or put off any world records or anything crazy. I would say the most ideal SUP river is a good class two river with a few features you need to move. If you're lucky, there's some knee high surf waves that are just going to randomly appear along the way. And a few easier to read class threes um, because that's the reality of where the majority of our stuff is right now is we're not super technical yet. We do still fall off our boards. So that nice mellow two easy three with some good deep water is mm-hmm. going to keep you exciting. It's going to challenge you enough that you'll probably fall in, but it's going to require enough engagement from your mind and your body that you have to be present in what you're actually doing. It's mindfulness, isn't it? And generally, when you're a beginner, you've got to be mindful and and concentrating. But I think particularly on a river, a fast flowing river, because, you know, you're always likely to get caught out somewhere, aren't you? Well, yeah, there's plenty of hazards. Every time you're, you're on a river, There's hazards that can pop up out of nowhere or around the next corner. So the river is one of the only places that you can tune into your environment, but you can't actually ever tune fully out of what Mm. you're doing, right? It's not like going for a run and getting into the zone and maybe missing someone you ran by. You don't want to miss anything on the river because there's could be rocks or wood trapped around the next corner and you always need to have your head up and fully engaged absolutely you can't go on autopilot can you no so i know you're an ambassador for bad fish is that right are you still yeah i'm a bad fish team athlete as well as a kokata team athlete i'm really interested to talk a bit about them and their stand-up paddle boards because they started in white water, didn't they? And they do look really different to a, a standard uh, red 10.6. And um, w- what makes up a good white water sup, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, a great white water sup has a smooth and continual rocker. So mm. if you look, for example, if you're online, you look at the Badfish River Shred, you're going to notice that you look at their side profile, it looks like a smile. Um, really comparable to a lot of the creek boats that you would see kayakers out paddling, similar shape to um, a more rockered raft. So that rockered shape is essential when you're thinking about progressing into the river, especially when you're going above class one. So when you're getting into class two and you're starting to have more waves um, or anywhere that you have waves, if surfing's your ticket, that continual rockered shape is going to allow for multiple things to happen. It's going to allow that board to naturally crest to the top of those waves to make your transition up and over smoother. That rocker is going to allow for more lift of the board as you move your feet front and back 
if you need help getting it up and over some of those more foamier style waves as opposed to clean green ones. Um, and that continual rocker means that your stand-up paddleboard doesn't actually have one sweet spot when you're trying to surf some of these irregular waves that we'll find along our paddles on the river. You have multiple sweet spots. So a longer or a shorter wave that continual rocker actually allows you to move your body placement and shift your weight so that you can find where the board's going to sit best where compared to a board that only has a tail or nose rocker. They're only going to have sweet spots that sit nicely in certain spots and they won't necessarily fit in all of the different waves. So for me, that continual rocker is huge. Um, something that I forget to mention is that that continual rocker also allows you to get your fin out by simply stepping, taking a bit micro step forward in the event that you come across a gradual section. It's clever. That is very, very clever. And it's a tough old shape to get for an inflatable. And you're absolutely right. That rocker is, is so critical. I take my inflatable surfing um, on the sea down here and anything above a couple of feet then it's a bit of a disaster because the the rock is not not big enough and I end up purling and ending up nose diving into the water but but that's a a tough one to technically achieve which is probably why bad fish are really the renowned specialists aren't they it is yeah I know it takes it's one of the they're the only company I think that can put that continual continual rocker shape in right now and, and you mentioned about the fins. I mean, that's clever. You, you step up the front and then lift them out. Are they special fins? Are they flexible? Because potentially you could run across rocks or whatever that would be fairly close to the surface, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. The fins that we typically use when we're going downriver are flexy. Um, most of the time, they're about four and a half inches. And instead of more of a crescent or flat rectangular shape, like you might see on the white water or on um, a flat water board, they're kind of more of like a half moon shape, a lot wider, shorter, so that you're still maintaining that surface area without needing the depth. Clever, clever stuff. And what's the current view on leashes? I mean, ankle leashes are absolutely out for river supping, but there's been a big movement uh, in the UK and across Europe around these quick release leashes. But I know a lot of uh, whitewater suppers don't go with a leash at all. What's your view on that? Well, uh, my view on it is like to keep my giant floating island or my tool that's going to allow me to get out of the water with me if I'm in the right environment. So you're 100% right, Simon, that ankle leashes have no place in the river. But a quick release leash, if used properly, can be an asset to you from a safety perspective. Again, knowing your environment that you're going in. If I'm paddling in a highly wooded area with tons of sweepers and strainers and trees and logs, I might choose to leave my leash at home that day and also question why am I choosing to go into such a hazardous area. But almost always, um, myself, my team, and the trend in Canada is to use that quick release shackled leash. Um, so that in the event that you do fall off, you can get back on your board quickly and easily and continue on your journey. That self rescue um, that we love so much. But also if you do fall and let's say your leash gets caught on a rock or caught on a tree branch that you didn't happen to see, you can pull that shackle and now be free of your equipment which would make you similar to, say, a kayaker or a canoeer or someone that fell out of a raft. Now you need help from your friends to save your board and you just need to swim yourself to shore. And and also implied in there is uh, sup with friends. It's yes. one of the biggest safety aspects that we don't tend to talk about too much. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially on the river, I would never stand up paddleboard alone. You know, people always ask that to me. They say, oh, Rita, you know, you paddle so much. You probably probably just sneak out there by yourself all the time. And honestly, no, um, because you never know what could happen. Silly, sillier things like tripping and falling and bonking your head ha- happen to people all the time. And 
Um, I'm totally cool with going hiking and doing lots of different adventures by myself. But as soon as I'm messing in the river environment where things are moving and happen so much quicker or faster, I always make sure that I have a buddy. Um, and that somebody knows where we are and where we're, and who we're going and where we're going, all that good stuff to have a backup plan. And this is a strange thing about safety. And, um, you know, again, I've mentioned this before. I did a whole string of beginners episode before we started this season. And the one that was downloaded the least was the safety one. Um, <laughs> people just don't know what they don't know, particularly um, if they're just starting, if, if they're not aware of what might happen. But I think people who have been on the water for a while and who have accidentally put themselves in difficult situations they absolutely don't compromise and it's not from you know us being killjoys or health and safety obsessive if if we've been close to that sort of perilous situation we just don't compromise about it and and that's why we give the advice that we do i 100% agree with that usually the folks giving you safety advice are probably the ones that have made um a decision that made them want to share that experience with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So I, I just wanted to talk as well about your, your other kit on there just very briefly. So I would imagine you got lots of meltwater heading down those, those rivers there. So it's not going to be tropical temperatures for you. I presume you'd be wearing a, a dry suit, would you? Yeah. So I would say most of the year. So, um, Although in certain places in Canada, you can't paddle all year round. I'm fortunate that I can um, because not all of our water freezes or because it's um, dam controlled. But mm. most of the year, minus maybe a month and a half, if I'm lucky, I'm wearing a full dry suit. Wow. That's incredible. And yeah, very, very cold water there. You know, for us, the definition of a cold surf is when you go back to your car and there's still frost on the windscreen. <laughs> I imagine it goes even colder for you there. Yeah, well, we paddle here. My group's cutoff is minus 10 in the middle of winter and wow. on do minus 10 centigrade. Um, and on days like that, we play who's the biggest icicle? And whoever, so this is a fine balance because you have to fall in enough to get your helmet wet, but you can't fall in too much and knock your icicle off. So we try and see who can actually grow the biggest like Dracula fangs off the brim of their helmet um, at minus 10. And there's a whole bunch of other safety concerns that come with paddling that cold. And um, you just need to understand the risks that you're taking and make sure you have an extra solid warm-up plan and again we've talked about cold water paddling on the show one of the things that i do during the winter is to try and condition myself i've got a little tub out the back in my garden which i go and uh, occasionally have to break the ice to climb into do you do any of that sort of conditioning stuff or is that uh, um i mean it's saying it now it seems like a really bad idea actually <laughs> no i uh I just know that as soon as the air starts to get colder, I just start pulling up more layers out of the, the cupboard. So it's a fine balance of how many layers you can put on um, as the weather gets colder. And instead of doing that training, I have a little trick. I'll take those heat packs, um, mm -hmm. the shakeable ones, um, either the reusable or the non-reusable ones, depending on which you prefer, which I have handy. And I'll crack those and I'll put them in my dry suit so that they rest on my belly underneath my life jacket. Um, and so without training, I can feel like I'm in Ecuador all winter long. Brilliant. That's incredible. And that radiates throughout the, the suit. That's, that's a great tip, that one. Yeah. And because it's in your core, I did. I used to put them on my forearms and calves. And my friend said, if you put them on your core, it'll work way better. And it's essentially like heat is being pumped into my hands and feet. That is the most incredible tip because the previous advice um, that we had was do lots of exercise or so on. Because I'm always asking about this because when I paddle in the winter, sometimes it takes a while for my fingers and toes to get feeling back. But that's a, that's a, a really fantastic tip. 
So let, we might come back to better safety later. I know it's a massive passion of yours, but you're also known, obviously, from the Stoke that you radiate from every pore, and I'm sure our listeners have heard already. So let's just talk a bit about your time on the water and, and particularly around your racing, because as you mentioned, you are a, a, a SUP athlete. You do compete in whitewater events. So for those of us who haven't been to a whitewater festival, what, what are the main events out there and, and what are the, the key SUP events that uh, you tend to get involved in? All right. So, yeah, and you're right. As soon as you start talking about racing, I'm like instantly like, all right, I can talk about my favorite thing. My, my heart rate already went up. Um, so our three key sub events that you're going to see at most festivals, um, especially if they're hosting all three are a down river sub race. So that can be, you know, just, I don't like to, you know, distances vary, times vary. It could be 5k, it could be 10k. Um, it depends sometimes if it's flowing really fast, it could be like 20 some miles, the downriver distances vary and they can also vary in technicality. So I've participated in downriver races that feel like flat water races because it's a class one environment. And then if you go to the GoPro Mountain Games or FIBAR, their downriver races are pretty exciting. Or ours at CanFest this year, um, where we raced the whole upper can, including our big class three drops, which was pretty fun. And so that's the downriver race. Um, it can be run as a time trial. So one person leaves after another and it's based on your time. Or my preferred method is the Chinese downhill where everybody leaves all at once. And the first girl or boy to the bottom with all of their gear on their feet wins. Um, that, that's my go-to favorite. <laughs> yeah. Sharpen your elbows for that one. Yeah. Um, you just got to get out of the gate fast. <laughs> and, and so that's a distance one. What, what else have you got? So we have, we also have SUP Cross, which is a head to head event. Typically four stand-up paddleboarders go at a time and we compete head to head around gates, similar to a kayak slalom, um, or a kayak cross event. And again, it's the first two people down to the bottom are going to move on. And yep, this one, you want to be able to stay on your feet. You want to be able to keep your head up. And you should watch a few of the other races before you go, even if they're in different vessels, because strategy is a big one for you. <laughs> yeah. And so that's sub cross. Then we also have, um, actually, there's four events now, because in Canada this year, um, we started just straight up slalom because sub cross isn't necessarily for everyone, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to see how fast they are. They don't want to try the gates. So we did add in just slalom courses this year where one, you go one at a time and you, um, you fastest person through the course wins, but you can lose points, which is what I was trying to say. If you miss a gate or you touch a gate, so there are deductions and it takes a lot more technique and finesse than sub cross where as long as you go through the gate, no one really cares if you touched it. <laughs> Have you got a favorite? Um, I would say sub cross is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at some of the footage of the, the CanFest racing uh, event and I think you've missed one out there. There was one involving Ali the Alligator and it looked like an inflated chicken. Yeah, as well. I mean, uh, probably not going to hit the Olympics one, but that looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. So, well, there was there is one more sub event, but Ali the Alligator at Canfest. There, that's part of the inflatable rodeo competition, oh, and okay. so everybody brings whatever random inflatable thing they can have, and your goal is to try and surf this big munchy wave. Um, at the bottom of a rapid and it's all for points on pleasing the judge. So whoever the judge is that year, this year it was our friend, Amanda. Um, you're just trying to make her happy. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. And you mentioned there was another one as well. Yeah. Another... in the surfing surf competition. Mm -hmm. So, um, I love surf competitions because I'm there. I'm not the best at them. I really love to go fast and I love to charge, but surfing is a whole different competitive game. 
Um, because you have to be so chill and relaxed and calm because the more excited you get while surfing, the harder it is, is to actually put together a score. Um, because surf surfing is judged similar to, I would say, figure skating or dance. You get your one minute ride. You're, um, we run in heats. One person goes after another and you're trying to get on the wave, carve, maybe do some shove some 180s, try a 360. But the people with the best rides, the best tricks, um, clean and consistent, those are the ones that are going to win the surfing events. And that's on a standing wave, is it? On a one standing wave, yeah. So we'll all park and play and the judges will sit up on the side um, and watch that one wave. And how do you get the movement? Because your rails obviously are, are, are thick there. Is it all your paddle work? It's a combination of, yeah, between using your paddle as a rudder and then in addition to, you know, there's so many different boards out there. When I'm looking at a competition like the surfing event, I'm looking at make, going with a smaller board, smaller rails, something similar to the Badfish IRS would be a great board for your first surfing competition. But then as you start to progress and really want to do those tricks, you want to look at a hard board like the Badfish River Surfer. Um, that's the my go-to board as soon as I want to think about putting down a serious score. Gotcha. So hard board's best for river surfing as well as sea surfing. Totally. Yeah. The the surfing with the hardboards is just non-comparable to mm. surfing with an inflatable. So just in terms of locations for paddling, obviously you're in an unbelievably beautiful part of the world there and you've got no shortage of options, but you've also paddled elsewhere, haven't you? I know you've paddled where bad fish are located in Colorado, but you've also been out to Ecuador and, and Costa Rica as well. Those, those last two must have been very different from the rivers that you're normally paddling in. Yeah, I had to pack way less layers. It was very confusing why the water was not cold. <laughs> my my brain couldn't quite get it. Um, when we were in Costa Rica, Brittany laughed at me as we stared at the ocean for a solid five minutes because my brain just mentally couldn't comprehend that we were going into the ocean in our bikinis. That's that's not what you do. The ocean is cold. We need five millimeters at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a totally different, different experience, different beast. And I have some plans coming together in the future. So I can't wait to head south soon. Hopefully travel will keep opening up to allow that. And how did you adapt to, I presume you paddled on the ocean as well. How, how does that work when you're used to paddling in a narrower and quicker environment? <laughs> it's terrifying. I I find the openness of the ocean very yeah intimidating would be a, a great word. Um, my friend um, Norm Han and Neil that I've mentioned they're trying to help me you know get more comfortable with it. Explain to me that the ocean is really just a very very large river. <laughs> it. <laughs> It still flows the same way, even though it changed directions. Um, but I do, I find the ocean very intimidating. However, with specific um, connection to surfing, mm. I've noticed an amazing connection with the amount that I go out and spend river stand-up paddleboarding or river surfing every time because the ocean's far, so I don't get to go very often, usually twice a year. Every time I go back to the ocean, though, I haven't gotten just a little bit better at ocean surfing. I've gotten exponentially better at ocean surfing. And I think that's because of this big crossover between your proprioception and your balance and always being in that moving water environment. Everything crosses over. I would say all sub sports cross over. And that's the coolest thing because even if I don't live near the ocean, or you don't live near the river, practicing one of the disciplines will still help you get better at the others. 
Absolutely. It's all about moving your weight around the board, isn't it? Stepping up and back and leaning and using your, your paddle as a brace. And I can see that there are some massive crossovers there. Personally, my general paddling improved so much once I'd started um, sup surfing. It just completely transforms. That's, that's fascinating. I suppose on a, on a standing wave, that's more predictable in terms of it's going to be there rather than having to wait half an hour for the next set to come through and uh, you can spend you know a, a decent amount of time on that wave and just practice your skills well that's exactly it is you have time to get better at surfing at the actual act of surfing and feeling your board maybe you stand in one spot for a while and your body just gets used to what does it feel like to surf? Mm. Whereas I'm sure others have experienced this. When I was learning how to sup surf in the ocean for the first time, I couldn't even catch the wave to know what I was trying to achieve. So until, and, until I actually had caught in some river waves, and then I was only looking for that middle ground, how to catch the ocean wave. Because I already could paddle up to it. I already could surf once I caught it. It was just then figuring out that catch piece. And as soon as I had that underlying river foundation, I caught a wave and I knew the feeling I was looking for. So moving around on my board and making adjustments become became intuitively easier because I understood what surfing was as opposed to we see this, I'm sure, with Lots of beginner surfers, I see it on the river as well. They get caught by the surf and then they're so surprised that that's usually what ends it for them. Yeah, they just get so excited. They end up uh, just wiping straight out and uh, at their moment of triumph. Well, that, that's that's fascinating. And you're right, of course, you know, this is all about muscle memory. And there are some brilliant benefits with being able to practice on a standing wave. I've never really thought about that. Um, just in terms of your, your travel, are there any places that's on your bucket list? Obviously, you know, you, you love Ecuador and Costa Rica. They're both two incredible places to, to paddle. But if money was no object and uh, if everyone wasn't locked down to their countries, where would you like to, to really go? Oh, man. Can I say everywhere? <laughs> um, <laughs> everywhere would be the option. But I actually posted on um, Can River sub Instagram the other day. Um, where would you want to go paddle around the world? And it's funny, some of the answers that I got from my crew. And I was like, yes, to all of them. Um, my friend Rebecca said she wants to go to Norway. And I've been skiing in Norway. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, you know what? I've actually heard about a ton of great whitewater paddling in Norway. Um, and so I would say that Norway is is soon on the bucket list. The, the biggest problem is some of the places we want to go are also in the Northern Hemisphere, which is our busy season. So mm. trying to figure out how to work those out. But Norway's definitely big on the list. Um, I really want to go to Japan to see... Yuka, um, one of the fellow Badfish team athletes, and go paddle with her. And I would really like to go to Chile as well. I'd love to chill. Those are, I would say, my next three. Not sure what order, but um, those would be the top three for where I'd like to go next. All great choices. <laughs> so there's so much to talk to you about. I'm, I'm whizzing through all of these. So the other thing which which I really need to talk to you about is your business, because um, as you mentioned right at the top of the show, you had Rita Supps as a business. And uh, I don't know if it's a, a renamed or a, or a new company, but you've got Can River Sup, which is a great name, by the way. Um, could you just talk us through what you're doing at the moment and, and that evolution from your old business to, to your new one? Yeah, and your evolution is a great um a great way to put it, Simon. It started off Rita Supps started off as a girl with a dream that just wanted more people to paddle with. And I would travel around subcontracting for different paddle shops to grow their business, to help train their instructors so that they could share the love of stand-up paddleboarding and 
being one of the only river trained instructors at that time and still the only advanced river instructor that's teaching right now, um, that was a great way to grow the sport. However, as when COVID hit and the big sup boom and transition and the flood to go outside and the restriction on being able to travel, I had to look at how I wanted to shift because a summer of traveling all over the country, teaching for one business or, or a bunch of different businesses wasn't necessarily going to work with the way COVID was laying things out. Um, and being new to the Calgary area, I had started to grow a pack of friends, a pack of friends who oddly enough, all love to be awesome river paddlers. <laughs> Some of them have oddly enough, come to my sup instructor trainings. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, they all really love to do everything that I do. And I have all of these people that are reaching out to me to learn how to stand up paddleboard. And they all want to paddle with Rita. And I was like, well, that's unrealistic. And I can't travel to all these other businesses. So why not invest in myself and turn it around? And so that was when I decided that Rita Sends is my identity, who I am as a person. And mm -hmm. Can River Sup is the Canadian River Stand Up Paddleboarding Instructor Collective where me and my fellow instructors work together to not only grow and progress our skills, but try and lead top of the line programming from flat water beginner instruction, all the way to guided multi-day trips. Well, so are you like, uh, I'm just trying to get my head around the collective aspect of it. So are you like a sort of certifying body for river instructors is that how it works no so we still use the paddle canada certification model and we still do all of our programs our paddle canada based programs um the instructor collective just means that we are all instructors that are going to work together and continual or continue to train and mentor so as the owner of the company and the head instructor we run trainings throughout the whole season that you as a collective instructor would be required to come to. Um, and if you're not ready to be a collective instructor or to work with the Can River Sup team, we can create mentorship opportunities for you to get out and get experience before you're ready to pass your instructor's course. Um, it's also a way for me as the owner of the company to make sure that all of my instructors are leading at a level that's above and beyond what is expected from Paddle Canada. So in addition to all them all having to have Paddle Canada training, we also do in-house trainings that exceed that to make sure that our instructors are seeking what it takes to make them their best, but also don't have, um, they don't never have to stop learning and growing for themselves. Well, that, that's so clever, actually, and so important because as an instructor myself, I see an instructor population out there. Sometimes people get their certificate and they just think, right, that's it. I know everything there is to know. But you're absolutely right. It's so important to push on your experience and your knowledge. I guess if you're providing sessions, you'll learn from the people that you're teaching anyway. But that really isn't enough, particularly in a river environment. Yeah, and it also presents what I found this year is by opening up everyone's ideas within the collective and all of the other instructors, there was stuff that I might have not even ever considered or thought about or ways that we could do it better or, you know, just support when we have those crazy ideas. And I know that as an instructor, just working for myself um, in the past, I did things Pretty much the same. I would say most of my lessons were very similar, always tailored to the client, but my approach was really similar. And mm. in this year, working with all of the other instructors and getting to see how they teach and how um, the feedback they give, we've all modified our styles. And I would say that it's made us all a better instructor because we're not just focused on what we're doing. We're focused on 
How is our team working so that we can work with any of the other instructors within that team? That's brilliant. That's so good. So important just to continue that learning and to do it really, really consciously as well. Um, I know you've also nailed another problem, which tends to happen to people who get into the SAP industry, because obviously I love doing the podcast. But what I found is, is that I generally spend a bit more time sat in front of the computer than I would have, have really loved to. And as a result, that impacts the amount of time I spend on the water. So you, you've started this very successful business. You know, there is the potential of you becoming, you know, the manager on shore rather than doing sessions on the water. How have you got around that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the first person that gets hired usually each year is our head of Stoke and operations. Um, last year it was my awesome friend, Amanda from Canal. She, um, stepped up and ran the show in the back end. I honestly, I, I couldn't do it with, without someone like Amanda, um, someone to, who loves to be outside, loves to know what we're doing, wants to be a part of all of our courses, still is an instructor, but is totally okay with locking it down and getting that administration administration stuff done. Because I don't think that my passion or my stoke for what I do would be as high um, if I didn't have the help with the administration and um the computer stuff in the back end, because you know what? I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that we can't do it all. And the stuff that's really hard, yes, you should know how to do it. You should understand how to do it. But if there's a person better for the job, um, that's what the instructor collective allows us to do is to hire the right people for that job so that I can stay out on the water. Because I think that that would be the biggest downfall would be if I didn't get to play out on the water and share my stoke, because I think that's why our whole team is pretty successful. Well, as you say, it's not a coincidence that all of these people have, have gravitated in your direction. So you've also extended your own learning because you've done a, a swift uh, water rescue instructor course. Is, is that right this year? And I know you've been working on that for a while. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And so um, this year I completed my mentorship with Raven Rescue Safety Medical. They are the certifying body here in Canada for Rescue 3 International. And so in order to become an instructor for them in the swift water environment, you actually apply and sign up for a mentorship, which then you're interviewed and selected for a mentorship. And you start by shadowing other instructors while they're teaching their courses. And you head out, you shadow, and slowly you start to teach little pieces of each course until you've worked your way up to teaching in front of the owner your whole course. And you hope that by the end of it, he says that, you know, here's some feedback on how you can be better, but you passed. Or, you know, he might say that you need to go back. And I was very fortunate. Um, I did seven seven mentorships because I, I didn't want to cut myself short. It's I feel learning from the biggest variety of instructors is what ultimately makes you a better instructor. Um, and so, yeah, in April, I got to head up to Smithers and do my sign-off course with Raven. And I'm really excited as to where this is going to lead and um, how it can maybe benefit the SUP community. Congratulations, and that was hard earned. And uh, it can be uh, pretty concerning when you go in for that final accreditation. I think you've always got an eye on the person who's observing you, but uh, but incredible. And then just finally, in terms of of business, you've also um, got a a coffee. Just tell us about how that happened. Oh, so that um, my coffee label is a partnership with my friend Devil's Head Coffee. So Devil's Head Coffee is based out of Calgary, Alberta, and they're a small local business. And so when I kicked off Can River Sup, I was trying to think of ways to get the name out there and different ways to just say like, hey, we're here now. Um, And coffee is my favorite thing. So Mm -hmm. I thought, why not 
reach out to my friend Chris that owns Devil's Head Coffee and see if he wants to um, team up and make a label. So because we're always out there redescending full sends or sending it, we made the Devil's Head Cam Never Stop Full Send Blend. So if you ever need to get out and send it, um, you want to drink a shot of that because it's going to perk you up and kickstart you. There you go. Fantastic. Yeah. What a great advert. So we're running up against time here, but I did want to ask you one last thing because um, I've interviewed quite a number of people in this show. And the last person I interviewed about white water was uh, Emma Love, who's a UK representative for, for British canoeing. Um she kind of really represents, I guess, like you, the, the female role within white water. And I said to Emma, you know, I'd imagine white water to be all like massive blokes with big beards. And uh, and there seems to be just a huge amount of, of women in that particular discipline. I mean, obviously, the great thing about SUP is that there are, you know, incredible role models in all areas of SUP. But what is it you, you think about white water that attracts females to it because you know it, it's a it's a tough old sport isn't it yeah so first off I want to give a big shout out to Emma I follow her on Instagram and she's totally crushing it and we're adding bucket lists I actually want to come up and paddle with her because it looks like she knows some pretty cool places to go um so coming to visit Emma is on my list um but I think Coming from both worlds of the kayaking and rafting, one, whitewater sup, I would say, yes, is a lot more women are drawn to whitewater sup specifically more. If you look at kayaking, I would say um, it's more male dominant. But in regards to sup, I think that has to do a lot about um, that wanting to feel independent um and in control of sup compared to kayaking gives you a, a bit more sense of control over yourself in that environment and i know primarily my clients that are coming to can river sup are women over 30 or moms whose kids have gotten old enough to stay at home by themselves or moms that are empty nesters and they're looking for something now that is challenging, fun, safe, and inclusive. And mm. if you're paddling with the right group, I've never been to a whitewater sup of group or event that I didn't feel all of those things. Um, and I also see sup as one of those sports that, yeah, you can just jump in and try it, but it all it sets you up for more success if you take a class and you take a lesson and what i'm seeing up here in canada because um women are more likely to take a group lesson to get into something they're signing up and that whole group that was in their intro lesson is now the pack and so we're not just getting one or two people that come back after their ski lesson we're getting whole packs of women coming back and they might have just not had that same female connection because of you know where they were with their life and their kids and and the welcoming community i don't know i kind of went off on a tangent there but no 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 yeah that, that <laughs> answers you know a lot of questions about all the various different disciplines in sup i mean it's one of the the fantastic things about having such a a, a new sport and as i said hundreds of inspirational women out there some of which i've spoken to on the show rita thanks so much for your time you've really delivered great value you've you've really sent it today um and you've got the most incredible selection of rivers in the most stunning natural environment and your area of canada is definitely on, on my bucket list i'm sure there's enough stretches to keep you busy for quite some time uh, where can we find out more about you um, you can find out more about me at canriversup.ca, so C-A-N-R-V-R.ca, um, or on my Instagram, rita.sends. That's the best way to track me down. Fantastic. And all of that will be in the show notes. Thanks so much again. I hope you continue to send it. And uh, next time I'm over your way, I'll definitely be grabbing a few lessons from you. Take care and hopefully catch you on the water sometime. Yeah, thank you so much, Simon. I hope we get a pal together soon. 
Well, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my chat with Rita and please check out the show notes for the links and more information about Can River Sup and their fantastic coffee, the Full Send Blend. If you'd like to learn more about Whitewater, check out episode 22, Supping on the Zambezi, and also episode 48, which we trailed in this episode with British whitewater paddler Emma Love. I really appreciate and value you as a supporter from our awesome SUP tribe. And I want to thank you for listening to the show. And it's a privilege to continue to share these stories with you, to chat to these awesome people and to share this love of our sport. So until next week, I'll see you on the water. 